Hey everyone, it's Cathy here from Geek Girl Meetup UK and you're joining me for Geek Girl Meets, the podcast where we sit down with an inspirational woman in tech to find out more about her career and today I'm really, really delighted to be joined by fellow UEA alumni, Adiza Tajani, who is Head of Ecosystem Development at Level 39. Adiza, thank you for joining me. No problem, Gabby. Thank you for taking time. So this is quite a nice thing because Adiza and I have both ended up working within the tech scene here in London, uh, but we actually worked together making smoothies and coffee (laughs) (laughs) many years ago uh, at UEA at the Student Union Bar in the UK. So it's kind of a, it's kind of nice to sit down with someone who who understands what UEA was all about and life and everything, and it's just nice to kind of tie up the journey, bringing us full circle. But now we just talk about tech instead. Yeah, instead of smoothies and oh, I like more blackberries in my breakfast crumble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit different. And uh, now we talk about things like artificial intelligence and fintech. Adiza, just for like the benefit of everyone that's listening, it'd be great mm-hmm. if you can start by just giving us a, a quick idea of you know what does Level Thirty Nine do? Yep. Okay, so um, Level Thirty Nine is an accelerator based in Canary Wharf, and we have been going for about three and a half years and I'm part of the founding team and we focus on mainly on fintech type of businesses but we also have businesses in smart cities and retail tech but globally we're really known for our reputation in fintech and we have over 200 companies that are part of level 39. 200 is a very big number. Yes. Especially in three and a half years. (laughs) We started with six and so um, for me, I've been on that journey from six companies to just over 200, and so uh, I like growth <laughs> and high growth. We all so, like high growth. So, yeah. Cool. Okay, so, first question. When you were little, Adiza, mm-hmm. what did you want to be when you were growing up? So, I wanted to be a CSI um, because I was obsessed with a old-school British drama called Quincy. Yeah. And then I got obsessed with the actual program, CSI. And I used to say to my parents, I need to watch CSI because it's good for my science lessons. <laughs> and I, it will help me with biology. And I actually did my biology GCSE one year early anyway. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So that's what I wanted to be. Okay. Um, and so then I realised that it, uh, in real life, it's kind of a bit gory and... Um, I'm not sure how I would handle um, people that are not alive (laughs) and live crime scenes. So, um, yeah, I think I gave up on that. Um, And when reality kicked in. Yeah, it's it's kind of, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. So the the last podcast that um, I did, uh, one of the girls, Kamala, she... uh, she actually said that when she was little, she really wanted to work in a funeral home. <laughs> um, yeah, and she, she actually did her work experience in a funeral home. Oh, wow. And then realised what she would have to deal with. And, yeah, it was just really weird that, you know, two times in a, in a row mm. for me on this podcast, people have started talking about death. Yeah. Um, but when, when like, I like the investigation part, like, and the crime scene part, and put problem solving and putting things together and... Yeah, but then you know, when when you're young, you kind of just like, oh right, this seems cool and fun. But then when you realise what it actually means, you're like, um. but uh, there were there were some cool there were some cool people and cool roles, and so I understood that there were different types of roles in science yeah. as well, uh, which was cool. Okay, cool. So CSI, 
Mm-hmm. Not necessarily, maybe not at TMI, but <laughs> you know, what's the what's the story? So obviously, I, I met you at UEA. I yeah. know about the uni and everything, but it'd be great to kind of understand how you went from, well, first of all, doing uh, science GCSE biology a year early yeah. to where you are today. So I um, went to the UEA to do international development. So I am British and Ghanaian. So I thought that I would end up going to work for Oxfam or United Nations or something in international development. So that's why I studied Dev at the UEA. Um, And as part of that, um, I did the overseas um, development part and I was placed in Ghana. And that was actually a DFID program. And with that program, I set up my blog. And so I liked writing, so I'd already written for this um, union paper um, and the student paper, but I thought, let me write about my time in Ghana. So I launched my own WordPress blog in, I think, 2009. Um, And it was also around the time that Obama first came to Ghana or something, um, which um, which was good. And I was like, okay, WordPress, cool, I'm going to blog. In the end, I didn't end up blogging as much as I thought because the internet connection wasn't great. Okay. And, uh, and it was sort of more of the afterthought. So when I came back, I did more blogging. Um, but that, for me, was the first time that I um, used a WordPress website. But um, during like some of the summer schools when I was about 15, I did um, a Tower Hamlet Summer University course on website development. And so that's actually when I made my first website. I was always good at like IT um, at school and I used to do other people's IT homework to help them. <laughs> However, um, <laughs> no, I didn't get paid. I was just extremely helpful. Um, but you know what? We're all friends, right? So we wanted to make sure that we, we, um, passed in a good way. Um, but yeah, I always was good at IT, but I never went to study anything to do with it officially in the official education system. So when I graduated, I joined a philanthropy non-for-profit here in London and I was the intern and the woman that they had hired to basically have a real full-time job uh, left and one of her big projects was to do a website relaunch. Right. And so they were like, you know WordPress and we need a WordPress website so you can project manage it. And I was like, okay, great. Even though they're completely different types of platforms. So the WordPress blog and WordPress um, website are two different types of um, platforms. Yeah. And But they didn't realise that. And I was like, okay, great. So let me get on with it. So um, they hadn't changed the website in 10 years. So imagine wow. that. Um, okay. And so it, it like, I think whatever I did, it would be an improvement. However, we did the rebrand, we re- rewrote all of the content, I worked with the web development agency, um, and we also launched all of our social media channels, um, and so for me it was the first time I was given the responsibility to, to do something online, yeah. um, and someone was paying me for it. Um, which is great. <laughs> That's always nice when you get paid to do it as well. Which is good. And because I went from being the intern to actually having a job and I was ready to intern for like six months if I needed to. Um, 
and then after I knew that after the web project was going to be finished and after we launched that I was not going to like just going back to day-to-day -day philanthropy of doing bookkeeping and also running amazing events where we gave away money to different organizations uh, which is great and honorable etc but uh, it was not enough for Adiza yeah so I um, suggest I had a coffee with somebody that worked in environmental tech um, and he sent me this job to work at Apps for Good, which um, is a education and tech nonprofit here in the UK. And when I joined, um, they had a program in two locations um, and two schools. And by the time I left, they had the program. We had the program rolled out in over a hundred locations. We won the first organisation to do a. A partnership with Facebook UK yeah. um, in order to help young people make Facebook apps at that time and also to help young people make mobile apps so I understand the mobile industry pretty well because I had to build out the mobile expertise um, for apps for good as the communications manager and I remember me going to the interview thinking this I this job is too big for me I should not be here but then Iris gave me the job and she took the risk and um, and yeah, it was great. And we grew, we scaled, we launched an award ceremony, a national award ceremony um, in partnership with the Barbican. And I was sort of like, wow, this is this is actually what tech is really like. Yeah. Um, and at the time, Tech City was also uh, getting off the ground and I made sure that we were the EdTech project of choice for Tech City UK, as some of the other kind of projects that they had, tech products that they had, weren't doing anything for any good, in the sense of social good. Social good, yeah. Um, they were solving great problems, and so we, I basically made sure we were a token for good thing, which was great. <laughs> um, and so that gave me a huge um, exposure to MOOCs, the edtech sector, um, and what was going on there. And in that role, I was actually looking after about eight agencies because as the comms person, I had to run the website, run all social channels, but also do all of the um, PR stuff with all the different agencies and the bigger partners that we worked with. Yeah. So Facebook, for example, had two agencies that we needed to work with. Um, and so each big partner had their agency. And I was like, oh my God, if I'm looking after about eight agencies here, um, maybe my next role can be in an agency. And so I went to an agency, uh, a podcast agency, uh, because I, at Absolute, I learned how to make video. Okay. Um, yeah. And so I was like, oh, right, video is the future. I should really get my head around this. Um, and... I joined the broadcast agency and I realized that the agency side isn't for me um, because I actually like being more in, inside the company and having more, um, more of a hands-on approach uh, where there's more problem solving. Yeah. Um, whereas um, agency side, you're pitching for projects um, to clients that might not necessarily have budget um, and it was a interesting time. I spent six months at it. I, I was stubborn. I was just like, you know what? This will be okay. I'll get through it. But in the end, I just realized that this isn't for me. Um, and actually, I brought, I pitched Eric, the former head of Level 39, that he needs to use the agency. Um, I was like, you need broadcast videos. 
you need ten of them to explore fintech, and that's actually when I when I was doing the research for that pitch. That's when I um, found out about the fintech sector, um, as I also had to bring in clients as well, and so I just opened my tech black book and said, "Oh, Eric, right, Eric needs content." So we had a meeting here at Level Thirty Nine in before it was even finished, yeah, um, and before it was open. And in the end, Eric was like, "No, we do not need these videos. Uh, we won't pay you X amount." And I was like, and I, I was really disappointed because I was like, "Oh, I really thought that I'd be able to secure this one, and I didn't." Um, and so, I um, when I left the agency, I basically. Uh, got in touch with lots of different people again to say that I was looking for something awesome and Eric was going to recommend me to, uh, to cover someone's sabbatical or something. Okay. And uh, and then um, he actually said that we've actually got some opportunities here at Level 39. Are you interested? And I was like, this is not what we were supposed to be talking about. Um, <laughs> we were supposed to be talking about... Uh, um, you um, recommending me for something else, and so in the end, um, I am actually I'm actually one of the first official employees of Level Thirty Nine because everyone else is kind of a freelancer or something of the sort. Yeah. Um, so I joined Level Thirty Nine in March two thousand thirteen, um, and uh, it was crazy. Wow. Um, in a good crazy way. Um, so well, yeah. I think that's the one thing that we can both agree on right is that actually the whole industry that we work in is crazy yes <laughs> I, don't think, I, don't, I don't think anyone has a non-crazy story in terms yeah. of kind of especially getting into something where the role is new the business itself is very new it's it's yeah it's, ne well, it's not established so it's yeah, just going to be crazy no, right? actually I think that so for me this would have this would be my second type of growth role so yeah. I at apps were good. We went from two locations to 100. At level 39, um, we've gone from having um, six companies to 200 companies on one floor to having and actually having three floors. Um, so growth is a, is a characteristic I like. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So yeah. No, it's really, really kind of it's a cool journey. So I did. I didn't realise that you did um, the the video thing. Which is quite good to know. Yeah, because I'll be picking your brain for some stuff in the future. Anyway, no, that's right. <laughs> I yeah, I know. I've got like if you go, if you, there's I've got a random video on my own YouTube channel where I'm like pitching that uh, for my blog um, and a and a Google event. And for me, I realise that video content is sticky. Yeah. Right? So people want to um, make sure they get their message across in a certain way, and so. Um, yeah, if somebody wants me to record a video or broadcast live to the BBC, I know how to do that. <laughs> and I know the studios which can do that too. So, yeah. Cool. So you said that growth has been kind of a, a key thing in, in everything that you've done, but what would you say is the, the, the reason you love what you do, aside from growth? Um, uh, the people. So I really um, respect people that are knowledgeable in their field yeah um, and at, at level 39 I've been able to get really high exposure to um, people that are at the forefront of driving change in technology from all sides so from the startup that is that has created a product that they really want to 
um, sell into X type of organization to organizations like the World Economic Forum, whose job it is as a, as a global convener to get big organizations to think about technology. Um, and so for me, the, the knowledge power has always been a selling point and high quality knowledge. So here at Level 39, we developed three networks um, from scratch, our mentor network, our investor network, and our partner network. And we actually interview people for that to join our networks. And the, the, if you maintain high quality, um, that actually has a multiplier effect as high quality people attract other high quality people. And that's key. So when we launched our investor relations work here, um, Axel Partners, the London team, were one of the first teams to actually say, you know what, we will do this. We will come in with five of our partners, yeah. and uh, which is basically almost half the love. Yeah, I was going to say, that's um, quite, that's <laughs> which is good. Um, and we're going to see your companies, and we are going to do office hours. And I think that um, when you are experienced, you realise that you do have, and especially in tech, you do need to kind of um, give back in different ways. And generally people that are super established realize that. Mm. Um, and that's important. And But maintaining quality is also key because now everybody is a FinTech expert. Um, and so understanding people's motivations is also um, important. And so knowledge and motivations and core products are the core things for me. Cool. What about one big piece of advice you'd give to someone else in their career? Um, even when things are super hard, uh, sometimes it's better to just stick them out because you will learn so much um, about yourself and about how you deal with challenges and um, that will also help you grow. And I think that that's sometimes something that um, we're a bit scared of, that we are like, oh, this is really difficult. I don't know if I can get through it. But actually, going through that experience helps you grow even more. And later on, you look back at it and you're kind of like, oh, right, I could do that. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't as bad as I thought. Um, and so getting through challenging times um, and realising that there is light at the end of the tunnel um, is really important. But... It really helps if you are able to um, have other people that have gone through challenging times who can help guide you on what on earth you should do. Yeah, no, I completely agree. That's quite nice to have someone you can turn to and go, so right now everything's a bit pants. Um, <laughs> what can I do to get through it? You know, you said earlier that you had a blog, you've got kind of you know, background in video and all of the, all of this stuff, which is mm -hmm. amazing. But what are you absorbing yourself? Like, where are you going to get knowledge and inspiration most yeah. of your days? What are you reading or listening to? So, um, so for me, um, people are the best source of knowledge. And for me, I like to get in touch with industry experts who will give me their brain on whatever type of um, advice I need. So yes, I can listen to, so from uni, I've really been a fan of iTunes U and a lot of people don't actually know that it's that. And so iTunes U is 
basically a library of content from the leading, um, this is also before MOOCs, for the leading universities around the world, where you can actually search for lessons in so many different topics from machine learning, artificial intelligence, to the psychology of leadership. And for me, I've always used um, tools such as iTunes U, um, TED Talks for knowledge. And for me, because those because in those talks you're getting it from people, yeah. I also seek out people that can also do that. And so I, for example, use my holiday time to um, go and explore San Francisco. <laughs> Aziza and I had a little bit of a side conversation about this the other day and we realised that we do tech holidays. Yeah, so... I, I think that makes us, like, really super cool. I think it... Okay, so this is this is my uh, methodology on it. So developers and really... Um, most people I know who are who make... who program, yeah. um, they do a lot of self-learning and they don't limit their learning to... Um, one course or one conference they actually are continuously learning and I think that in other industries um, and in other professions across tech we should encourage that self-learning as well yeah and so I, I think it's more valuable somebody going to so for example this year I went to Google I.O. so Google are a partner here and they invited me along to go to their tech conference in San Francisco and if you think about it, it's, it's really heavily focused towards their developer audience. Um, however, some business people go. Yeah. And um, some people did ask me, well, why, why do you want to go to a developer conference? I'm like, well, developers are making and creating the products of the future. Yeah. <laughs> Therefore, I think it's pretty important for me to have a really good understanding of what that future looks like. And I think that that craving for learning is really important in tech. Yeah. And whether you get that through what you read or what you listen to or um, the people that you surround yourself by, that constant learning is key, especially in our industry as our industry is so fast moving. Um, and I think that having using your spare time to do that is a really good thing to do. Um, and so going to meetups, actually using your time to... Uh, so, for example, Swift is a um, programming language that uh, Apple have invented. Mm. Um, and I, I think there was an awesome PhD researcher that actually is behind it. However, when I first heard about it, I thought about Swift in the financial terms, which is actually the interchange banking network where you are able to... If you make a certain payment, you have to have a Swift code. Yeah. And so when I saw, oh, Apple are doing uh, Swift, I was like, hmm, let me go and see if I can find a Swift meetup. And so I went to a Swift meetup. I was probably the only business-esque type person in the room. However, I actually understand um, in a much better way what where the Swift technology is going and what type of things it will be useful for. It might not be useful now um, in in an operational sense today however in many years to come it will be yeah and due to having an interest in mobile and um, through the work that apps are good i actually understand how to find all the mobile experts and if i need to talk to them to say ask them something yeah i can 
And so I think that that curiosity and that constant need to learn is really important in tech. It's exhausting, right? Because um, people are like, oh, have you heard about this? Oh, right, <laughs> oh, I'm sold. Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Um, but that obsessive nature actually yeah. is really helpful for our day-to-day -day work. Yeah, no, I agree. I think having that thirst for knowledge, right? It's a very, very, very powerful thing. Um, and overall, you are able to sit down in the room with anyone, and as long as you can ask questions and, and be very present with that thirst, you yourself will become a fascinating person because mm -hmm. you know enough about a lot. Yeah, and I, and I also think respecting knowledge. So yeah, um, I I I basically um, chased down a call to, with Michael Moritz from Sequoia. Oh wow! And so it's but it started with me hearing that he was going to, uh, he was writing a book with Alex Ferguson yeah. um, um, on leadership. And I was in the, in the car with my dad listening to Radio 5 Live. And he they came on, the interview came on. And I was just said to my dad, look, dad, I really, I really want this guy to engage with level 39 in some shape or form as a venture capitalist who's got more than how many years worth of experience. Yeah. Um, and I remember, coming back to London, asking a number of different people, oh, is it possible to give me an intro, etc. And um, I wasn't able to get that intro. Um, and then he was at TechCrunch Disrupt, and I made sure that I was at the book signing area so that I could speak to him. And he, he was like, why don't you just email me? And I was like, yeah, that's true. Um, <laughs> it's, that, that is true. Yeah, I mean, that's um, but everybody says you need that referral. But I think sometimes it depends. Yeah. Um, it's, and it's so. an, I think that's a really odd one. Like, I feel like this sometimes with certain, for instance, even like for, for the podcast, right? Yeah. There, I, I have a hit list of women. I have about 50 women in a book that mm. I want to interview for this. Mm -hmm. And with certain women on that list, I'm like, how do I go about getting an introduction? Because I don't feel, yeah. I, I, I don't feel comfortable just emailing out of the blue because mm. I almost feel like they'll just be like, oh, no, I'm going this podcast. I need, I want someone to kind of endorse me and go, this podcast is amazing. You should definitely <laughs> sit down with Kathy White and be interviewed. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, it's kind of, I guess to a degree, it's a little bit um, of uh, imposter syndrome yeah. internally going, this is yeah, and you know what? He he was perfectly cool. He was like, "Why um, why don't you email me?" And and so when I was going to San Francisco for Google I/O, I did email him. And ironically, he was in London when I was in San Francisco. Oh, no. um, and so the Sequoia team, amazing. And I met another one of the um, the one of the junior partners there, uh, one of the youngest partners to join there. And then the week after, I had a I had my call with Michael Moritz here in London. And it was at like nine o'clock at night or whatever. And um, but I think that that's about me wanting to seek out knowledge. So yeah. even though um, people said, "Oh right, I'm not going to introduce you. I can't introduce you. I can't use my golden ticket um, with Michael in case I have that co company." Um, I was tenacious, and that tenacity and, and thirst for knowledge is really key. And um, that's been a key driver for me. And I'm also pretty stubborn sometimes. So, um. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, I think stubborn in our industry can be a good and a bad thing, yes. depending on how it's being used, yes. right? Yes. 
Um, so I think having that, you know, tenacity and the go-getting attitude and everything is, is great, but sometimes stubborn can backfire. Yeah, but because but you need to be able to listen, and that's yeah. the um, thing with if you have great people who've been through things before saying, maybe I think you should probably do this. Um, being able to absorb and listen and make a objective decision um, is important. Um, so yeah, because why not? Why not use the brain power of awesome people to help solve problems? Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Who's inspired you in your career? Do you think? Um, so I. So it's funny because I had this debate um, this week with my father, right? So my dad studied computer science and maths in Ghana and he he actually didn't want to do that. He wanted to do architecture, but instead he, um, he got on to the computer science and maths program. And, but when he came to the UK, he had to retrain as an accountant um, and so now he's an amazing management accountant, but he, for me, he's the first technologist in the Tajani household. I am not, yeah. right? And so for me, he, he inspires me um, heavily, even though he's like, oh no, it doesn't matter. I'm like, no, actually, it's very important um, because I think that understanding that even back then when like it was mainframe computers and he said he had to go and give give um, this sheet or whatever to that whatever person to sort out the mainframe computer. Yeah. I'm like, wow, that, we don't have to do that. And we have it completely differently. And so my dad does inspire me because um, he, even though he doesn't think he does, um, he does because he's extremely tenacious and he really makes me think critically about technology. So I'm obsessed with Apple products. And he's just like, they're overpriced. <laughs> Do you not understand this? Um, I'm like, yeah, but they're designed amazingly, etc. And so we're different generations of yeah. technologists. It's, it's, um, but it's cool. Yeah. Um, and so I think that for people that understand that computers and technology solve problems, as long as they solve the problem, that's the most important thing. Um, as, but then I, I heavily respect um uh, I heavily respect Microsoft, right? So um, I was lucky enough to accidentally meet Bill Gates when how I was 21. You, how do you accidentally meet Bill because Gates? Because you send a tweet to somebody to be in, to interview them for their blog, for your blog, and then they ask you whether or not you want to come to an awesome event via Twitter. Wow. And, and okay. that event happened to be the launch of Bill Gates Foundation in London. And I was like, okay, cool, let's go. And um, at the time, I was still doing volunteering with Oxfam. And so um, the volunteers uh, had the opportunity to meet Bill Gates um, and say hi and thank you. And I was just like, you know what? For a 21-year-old, you're super inspiring. You show that you can do tech and you can do philanthropy if you want to. And... Um, and then on the same night we met Bono because Bono is an, was an ambassador for the One campaign. And so that one, it was crazy. I'll send you the, the link to it. And so that one night um, I met leading technologists and leading philanthropists um, or activists um, and musicians. And I think for me that showed the power of social media. Wow. Um, because if I yeah. had ignored that tweet or if I hadn't 
um, made the effort to say, oh, can I interview you, Glenn, um, about your work in advocacy and in London, <laughs> um, I would have never have been given that opportunity. And so for me, from a really early age, I understood the power of social media and the ability to outreach to people yeah. that have great knowledge. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I love stories like that. I accidentally met Bill Gates. I was going to go home. <laughs> I was like, oh, right, this event's basically finished. Oh, let's go. And my friend Jen, she's like, no, 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 let's stay. Let's stay and see if we can see, like, these all... And I was just like, they're human beings, for God's sake. I'm not a fan of, like, the obsessive nature of celebrity yeah. stuff. Um, and so, yeah, I, it, was, it was great. Um, and so for me, I was just like, there's no boundaries. Yeah. Like, if I can... This is, this is the, one of the most wealthy technologists in the world and pioneering in computing. Like, at the time, I didn't even think I'd ever meet someone like Steve Jobs. So it's like, okay, well, Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, great people in tech. Um, so I've done one. Maybe I'll get the other, but obviously that didn't happen. Yeah. So, um, yeah, back to CSIS. So. Brilliant. But, yeah. Okay. Now, I know that you are, you're like me, right? You have your day job. Mm-hmm. And you, but you do other things as well. Yes. So I think it would be really nice to hear more about uh, philanthropy. Okay. And all of your, you know, your other initiatives that you are a part of. So um, I, so when I left the, the funding network in, um, uh, which is my first job, um, I continued doing things with youth philanthropy and young professionals in philanthropy. Um, and so... Um, so I'm now the co-founder of an organisation called Philanthropy and in London we run an event every quarter in order for people to um, realise that they can do giving as well. So we've actually got an event uh, next week, Tuesday, the 26th, um, in London Bridge and it's basically a pitching event where social change project pitch their idea um, and they will get donations from the room. And we actually had to develop our own tech to do this. So we've got an amazing, amazing CTO, Liam, and he built our tech from scratch. Um, and so uh, when people are like, oh, Adisa, you're in fintech. Do you, have you even got a fintech product? I'm like, well, actually, we kind of built one just to solve a problem um, with philanthropy. So um, I think that sometimes when we work in a sector, we sometimes forget to give back. Yeah. And due to... Um, the nature of social entrepreneurship, which is where I started. Um, I, I've, even though I'm in business, I, I do believe in giving back. And so even here at Level 39, I've landed all of the social stuff. So um, we welcome Code First Girls here. Um, and we've been working with the team since they started. And over 200 um, young women have gone through their programs here. Um, and I remember us just saying, you know what, we need to do this for the talent side. Yeah. So I think that there's always an economic benefit to doing um, social change stuff as well. And that for me is the most important thing. Um, and so that's philanthropy and we run giving events every quarter here in London. And we're totally open. So, um, and that's the thing I think that people are kind of taken aback by, that we're such an open network and we're all, we're all volunteers. Um, and then the other thing that I'm, I've just become part of is um, Founders for the Future. So Founders Forum um, decided that uh, 
there are young professionals in the industry that um, are more likely to found a company yeah. in years to come. And for, actually, this is why you should sometimes look at your emails on holiday, because <laughs> uh, I saw this email whilst I was on holiday, and um, it was and Brent Hoberman and the team had sent an email to say, Atisa, we have recognised that you have the potential to be a founder of the future and we want to have a, um, a network that welcomes and gives you a bit more of a toolkit and support to do that. And so Founders of, of the Future um, brings together different young professionals who are likely to found a company in the future. As Founders Forum is actually uh, driven by entrepreneurs that have built and sold their businesses. And so we've actually got an event today at Second Home, and I think that that sort of entrepreneurial nature is important, and those entrepreneurial networks are really key for the founders of um, tomorrow, because I sit in a position here at Level 39 where I'm highly exposed to people that are building companies, um, but that's actually pretty unique. Um, not everybody has that exposure. You might be really good at doing something, but and you might, but you might not know how to solve that problem in the best way. How to find your co-founder? How, to, which is one of the hardest things. Yeah. How to raise money and all these other different things. So um, yeah, I'm proud to be a member of um, uh, Founders of the Future, and I think that um, it's great that the Founders Forum team are trying to nurture talent of tomorrow. Um, so yeah. And then randomly, City AM think that I'm a, um, an influential woman in... Uh, I, I, love, in uh, I love how you went <laughs> randomly. Like, seriously. Um, I mean, well, I, I think that because... So it was funny, because when this list of 100 influential women in um, London came out, I was in the millennial category. And there were awesome women like Eileen Berber, John and I was sort of like... How am I in the same league at all as all of these women who are so established? Um, and I think that sometimes you are—you don't recognise um, how well you're doing unless yeah. other people recognise it for you. And that's what I'm really um, grateful for for the industry, that the industry is really welcoming and open. And when you do execute and you do... Um, do amazing things people are like you know what you deliver and you deliver to a high quality and you also are really passionate really genuinely passionate about technology companies yeah um, solving problems across the landscape um and so being in I've never been in the millennial category for anything and so uh, being in the millennial category I was like am I a millennial hashtag hmm. millennial um, but I think those things are important and industry recognition um, as much as I laugh about it is actually important yeah. um, but I think that if you think that if you're only seeking out awards and stuff like that then you're looking at it in the wrong way you, it shouldn't be like that what it should be is that um, you are excellent at what you do and, the, and people will nominate you for that but you do need to put yourself forward for that nomination and so the team here um, put me forward for this, and I didn't know. And so, uh, yeah, that's uh, interesting. So having great colleagues is good.
Yeah, I've just put, well, I sent a cheeky email to a couple of people the other day asking them to put me forward for something. But that's good, and I think that that's important. Yeah. And sometimes we are less bold about doing that. Um, and I think that, I, th I do think women are less bold at doing that. Yeah. Um, but uh, women should put themselves forward, and um, but I think the way you do it. So I sometimes... Um, find some of the women in tech movement a bit angry. Um, oh, yeah. And I understand that perspective. Um, and there's room for all different types of perspectives. But I also think that objectively, tactfully doing things that you can execute on and deliver on, mm. that's just my way of thinking. And so doing that is key. So when there is a call for speakers, um, you're looking out for it and you actually getting in touch with the, the curator of whatever conference it is and saying, actually, you know what, I can contribute this, this, and this, and I'm putting myself forward. Um, because sometimes we aren't part of the networks where they go to seek out people. Yeah. And that's important. I think that's the thing. It's, it, it's about visibility. And, you know, I mean, that's a, a core thing of Geek Girl, right? We're all about creating and pushing forward new female role models, because of that whole, you know, the, we have a firm belief that confidence breeds confidence and the more women you can have that are making themselves visible, just doing, you know, and sharing their passion and mm -hmm. their skills and their knowledge and, you know, everything they built in through their careers, you will get more women who will do the same. And it's, it's, it's not an angry approach. Yeah. And, and you know what? I think that there's also a cultural approach. So I was, um, I watched a clip from The Matrix the other day. Mm. And I sort of realized that ma the Matrix, wow, at that time, the Matrix was super cool. Um, and how film actually helped change the perception of what technology is. Um, and I think that the more women that are placed in roles in, um, in pop culture and mainstream culture that are encouraging uh, tech-driven roles, so it's not just within our own tech community is in mainstream things as yeah. well the better and I think in Fast and Furious the woman that they the hacker that they rescue is a woman and they're like oh my god I didn't realize hackers look like this I thought they're supposed to be sporty guys in that room and and but things like that are important and I think that culturally um if more filmmakers if more um uh, broadcasters make the effort to integrate different types of roles of, of women in technology in the public sphere, yeah. um, the more powerful um, the message will be. Because we don't want to only have our own echo chamber, we want to be in other people's echo yeah. chambers. That's why I, I still haven't seen the film, but I love the new Ghostbusters just purely based on the concept, because Paul Fake, the, the director and producer, was so adamant about making this this film. He, he even said in an interview that he's basically like cashed in all his checks. Like he's he's used every possible favor to make this happen. And he he says it's it's just for for women and for girls to see that it's women, possible. Women can do it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yes, it's ghosts, but it's science. Yeah. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, to have them in in what you know, Ghostbusters were four blokes, but now it's four yeah. women. And also, like, Iron, I think it's Iron Man, right? Like, um, Iron Man, um, the Marvel team, let me get my comic stuff right. So they're basically going to, the new Iron um, Man is actually a woman. Yeah. 
and she uh, broke into Tony Stark's, she's basically manipulated Tony Stark's um, programs and she's studying at MIT and she's a young black lady. Yeah. And I saw, I saw her and it was just like, okay, great, popular culture, come on, thank you very much. It's all, um, yeah, it's all starting very slowly now yeah. to kind of build, right, and I think in the next... The next decade, we'll just see more and more. But we have to all keep pushing yeah. for it as well. This has been really awesome. Um, just, by the way, as a side note, like, <laughs> great conversation. Loved it. Um, five stars. Thank uh, you. You know, it's, yeah, um, I, I, well, I feel completely inspired, actually, and uh, you've shared some amazing advice, um, which... I'm going to benefit from, and I hope that others do as well who are listening to this. So thank you very much for joining me. Thanks for having me. And just to, to wrap up, I'm still stunned by all of the knowledge. Anyway, you can follow Geek Girl on Twitter. We are at GGMUK. Please have a look on Facebook as well. We do have a Facebook group. We are Geek Girl Meetup UK on there. And go and sign up for our newsletter on our website, which is geekgirlmeetup.co.uk. And the reason that I'm mentioning all of this again is because we've actually just announced the date for the Geek Girl Conference. So we are going to be in the Ministry of Justice on the 8th of October. And we will very soon be announcing the theme and we will be issuing tickets. So if you fancy coming along and listening to 30 incredible women spending a day with a mixed audience of great minds uh, and just getting, you know, some inspiration in the form of a Deezer, hopefully, because I'm now going to ask it to come to the um, <laughs> Yes. Yay! There we go. That's so easy. Um, then, uh, you know, go and sign up to everything and we'll keep you in the loop. But um, Adiza, thank you again so much. Thanks for taking the time. And I will speak to you all soon.